So this is a two-week study. Last week um, uh, and this week, we're talking about a call to ministry. So I know some of you were here, um, but some of you are new. Hi, Deborah. <laughs> now, I enjoyed your sermon so much this morning. Very grateful for it. Um, so last, last week, um, I said that there are several understandings or definitions to ministry. And so last week we talked about the idea that we're all called to ministry and that we're all ministers. Um, and I said at the, call, at, at the moment of our salvation, we were called to ministry, called to worship the Lord, and we were all gifted um, to use our gifts in the body of Christ um, for his glory. And then it also has a missional horizontal aspect. We're all called to be ministers in our workplaces, in our every sphere of influence that we have. We are called to be a light to the nations, right? We're called to be one body of Christ. And so I think that's foundational. Um, again, as I said last week, um, my dad's a pastor, and I encountered a lot of people who viewed ministry as belonging to a certain group of people and not to the rest of us. So I think that we need to start that we are all called to um, a ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, but there's the traditional understanding of ministry, and maybe what you have in mind, um, you often hear, I'm called to ministry, or I'm called to gospel ministry, vocational ministry. And that sense of ministry is the sense of um, ordained ministry, or um, in the church as our, as our ministers, our hired ministers and priests. Um, you might also think of missionaries or evangelists. And so that's the um, other side of ministry that we're going to talk about today. Does the Bible have anything to say about those whom he calls to that kind, that type of ministry? Or, as I say, ministers to the ministers, capital M, ministers to the ministers. And so um, I asked a couple of questions last week that are kind of still um, in, in, in my thoughts as we, as we proceed today, and that is, what is a call to ministry? How do you define ministry? How do you know if you're being called to ministry? Um, the Bible is not a calling textbook, so this is not God's primary purpose to tell us this is how I call. Um, but we do know that God is a calling God, right, from the very beginning in Genesis. Um, we're given names of two specific people that he creates and calls, gives tasks within the garden. We could talk about Abraham today if, if we had the time. Um, so what I'm going to do today is really going to be a very quick survey. So I want to start with the Old Testament and go quickly through the New Testament, and we're going to look at a couple of people and see how, is God, how did God call them, what did he call them to, are there any things that are similar that, from each person, and then what does this mean for us? today. So here's a statement for you. Um, while everyone is called to be consecrated to Christ for ministry as priest, um, and while God calls us into all vocations, only some are called into a vocation to be consecrated to the church and to the gospel. Um, so let's start with Moses. And what we're going to do because it's going to be a survey, we're going to cover a lot of material. We're not going to read a lot of scripture out loud, but we're going to walk through it. So that's why I gave you Bibles or asked if, um, if you had a Bible. So we're going to start in Exodus 3 with the call of Moses. So as you know, Moses has left um, uh, Egypt. Um, he, has, um, he, he left. Do you all know why? Because he... 
He murdered a man, right? He uh, murdered an Egyptian. He's on the run. He lands in the wilderness. He marries um, the daughter of Jethro. And he is, it says in verse 1, he's keeping the flock of his father-in-law. So he's working as a shepherd. Um, and then as he's working, he goes along and he sees, something catches his eye. He sees that a bush is on fire, but not yet consumed. So this is a pretty um, wild experience. So of course, he turns to see what's going on and he hears a voice, Moses, Moses. And so God calls Moses over to him and he tells Moses who, who he is. And then he says in verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So he begins by saying, there's a need of my people. Last week I said that all throughout scripture you see the desire and heart of God is this. I will be their God and they will be my people. Right? In Genesis he creates people to be um, for himself. And you really see it in the prophets. I want to be their God and for them to be my people. And then we see it finally realized in the book of Revelation. So here his people are crying out and God hears them. And so he chooses to act through Moses. And what does he tell him to do in verse 8? I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then he goes um, down and says that he come, I will send you, verse 10, to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses is being called to serve as a deliverer. So that has a physical aspect, of course. He is to deliver the people out of Egypt. But it's also going to have a spiritual implication, isn't it? Um, He is going to... um, serve to um, bring them not only out of Egypt, but introduce them, here's your God. I'm going to introduce you um, to your God. And what is Moses' response? I love his response because he's so human, isn't he, in verse 11? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And I think that's a typical response when we encounter God's call in our life. Lord, who am I? I mean, I'm, I'm not qualified for this. I'm not fit for this. Um, there are many reasons why Moses could have said, who am I? I mean, he murdered someone. Um, he's older at this point. Um, he's a shepherd working out in, in the wilderness. Who am I that you would send me to Pharaoh um, to do this great task? Um, but I love God's response. Um, God says, that um, he will accompany him. His call is not dependent upon Moses' ability, but on God's ability. He says, I am who I am, and say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. And he promises as we continue to read on that I will be with you. God's presence accompanies the call of God. It belongs to God. God is going to be faithful. And I love this when thinking about a call to any type of ministry, but specifically a call to, um, in Moses' case, to deliver, that God promises his presence. Um, And then Moses continues and says, Oh, but I am not eloquent. I don't know what to say. Um, We see this in um, chapter 4, verse 10. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. We're really good at excuses, aren't we? Um, And so is Moses. And God responds by saying, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. 
Um, not only does the Lord promise his presence that I am who I am is going to go with you, but I will supply the words that you are to say. Um, and in this, too, we see that, God, uh, that Moses' call is also to serve as a prophet. So God is going to speak through Moses to the people of God. So he's going to be a deliverer. He's also going to be a prophet. He's going to stand um, on behalf of God for the people of God to administer the word of God. Um, later in Exodus, we see as Moses um, talks about his own calling, he also describes his calling as being a servant of God. He's serving on behalf of God. He also um, will later, after he brings the people of God out, um, serve as a governor. He governs between disputes to the point where he has to get some help, and he appoints some judges to help with him. And then I love how he also later describes what he's doing as a shepherd. There's that description of Moses as a shepherd. So once before he was serving as a shepherd in Midian, and now he's a shepherd of God's people. It also makes me think of um, Jesus later when he calls his disciples. He calls fishermen, right? And then he says, now you're going to be fishers of men. (laughs) And he kind of does that with Moses. You are a shepherd. Um, Now you're going to be shepherd of my people. Um, You're going to serve on my behalf by protecting them, delivering them, leading them, giving the word of God to them. We see this with the law. Um, He goes up to the mountain and he brings down the law of God to his people. So there's Moses, um, a very quick, um, we're going to go quickly, um, Moses' call and calling. And Moses' calling is very unique. Um, I don't expect anyone else to have a call from a burning bush, a burning but not yet consumed bush, you know. Um, It's very unique, but um, we still, we'll talk about some elements that I think are still true for us today. Um, We're going to turn now to David, and we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16. And I'm skipping the judges. Like, we could spend time on Deborah. Um, In the book of Judges, we could spend time on Joshua. There are other people we could look at. But um, we're going to go to David here. So 1 Samuel 16, before then... Um, after um, the, the death of Joshua, we have the time of the judges, um, and Sam, the first Samuel begins with the birth of Samuel, and Samuel is described as a judge. So this is a time where there are no kings. The people of God um, are very fickle, aren't we? We're just fickle human beings, and so um, it's repetitive um, behavior that um, they sin, they rebel against God, Um, Then the enemies come and they conquer them. And then they cry out to God, oh, God, save us. We're sorry. So he raises up a judge to save them. And then after some time, the people turn away from God again. It's this cycle. Um, And so we um, have now come to the time of the king. Samuel was a good judge. He gets older. He retires. Um, He appoints his sons. His sons are not very good. So the people cry out, we need a king. So who's appointed as a king? Saul. Saul. But what happens to Saul? (laughs) He sins, and it's not that he just sins, but he's unrepentant. He's an unrepentant king, and so God rejects him. And now it's time to appoint a new king, even though Saul is still serving. And so he sends Samuel, who is a prophet, and he sends him to Bethlehem in um, chapter 16, specifically to the household of Jesse, who has a lot of sons, 
and they have this um, feast and so Jesse parades his sons from the oldest to the youngest before Samuel and the first one we're told that Samuel thinks oh this is the one this is the one that God has appointed and God says no I don't look at the outward appearance I look at the heart so it goes all the way to the end and it's like that I keep thinking of like the Cinderella story nope she doesn't fit. The shoe doesn't fit. Um, do you have any other sons? Um, and Jesse says, oh, I do have this son who's serving as a shepherd. Um, what a job, you know. He, the, the last son, not only serving in the fields, but it's a, it's a risky job. I mean, he's having to fight off beast to protect the sheep. And so they bring in David, and God makes clear this is the one. So unlike with Moses, how God calls audibly, Moses, Moses, from a bush, um, David's call comes through another person, through Samuel. And um, David comes, he is not what he would have expected. Not only is he the youngest, um, he, he does not have the outward appearance. God says, this is the one, arise and anoint him in verse 12. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Um, it's so. I'm going to stop there. It's just interesting how, in that time, the firstborn got the greatest inheritance, right? But now the lastborn is going to have the greatest inheritance. God has a way of just flipping our systems and um, using the weaker things. So, but He anoints uh, David, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. What accompanied God's call of David? the Spirit of the Lord, the presence of God. Again, we have the one who he is calling, he is providing his presence for, because a call belongs to God, right? It's not David's calling, it is the Lord's calling. And it will. If, if we were to spend time reading, you would see that come up time and time again. And even Saul recognizing at times, not putting a hand on David, because the, he knows that the presence of the Lord is with David. So David is anointed to be king, and later in 2 Samuel 5, I believe, yep, 2 Samuel 5, when he's anointed again, um, what does it mean that he is going to be king? Uh, at the end of verse 2, And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Again, we have a shepherd who is called to be a shepherd. Um, who is called to take care of the people of God, lead the people of God in righteousness, and to um, uh, to point not only uh, point a point uh, protect them, but also to give God's word to them. He is to feed them. Um, he is to care for them. The next thing about David's call that I just find interesting is that as soon as he's anointed the first time in chapter 16, um, he runs into trouble. Right? Do you all know the story of David? He is, um, it's not an easy calling. He runs into hardships. He's on the run from Saul. His life is in danger. He's hiding in caves. And it is um, from the time where he's, when he's appointed as a youth, maybe 15, um, and then we're told in Second Samuel that he becomes king at age 30. That's a long time to wait for a calling to be fulfilled. So not only is he going into dangers, but there might have been times of questioning. <laughs> is, when is this going to happen, Lord? Um, but God was faithful and never left David's side. Um, so, a, so a call to service, a call to service, n- does not materialize as quick as a, an Internet download or a tweet or a fast food burger as we 
that I had to remind myself uh, many a times um, from the time that I felt God's call in my life at age 15 to even now at age 33, um, I've often asked, when, O oh Lord, when, O oh Lord, are you going to, when am I going to see this um, come to fruition? Um, but I believe David's story reminds me that God is not slow to fulfilling his promises. Um, this is David. Do you all have any questions before we move on to Jeremiah? Oh, yes. I don't have a question necessarily, but I'm always, every time, I'm always amused when we're told, you know, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and, and was handsome. Hmm. And, you know, you kind of, now that you've read all of this David story, you go, oh, he's going to be in trouble for the <laughs> Right, yeah. for his looks. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> And yes, and I would think that that would, if 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 he has han- if he's handsome and beautiful eyes, I mean that those are qualities I think of for a king, but um, <laughs> evidently not, right? <laughs> no, I mean right. I think a lot of people probably. Yes, probably yes, <laughs> that's so good. Even if he's a scrawny teenager, that's right, right. Yes. Um, now we're going to go to um, the prophet of Jeremiah. There are a lot of prophets that we could look at, but I love the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah gives a lot of autobiographies um, and just very real about his calling. We'll begin in Jeremiah 1. So Jeremiah 1 begins by telling us that Jeremiah was a priest. He was already serving in the temple of the Lord when the word of the Lord came to him. Now, with Moses, we know exactly how God called him. Um, With David, we know it was through another person. With Jeremiah, we don't know. We just know that the word of the Lord came to him. We're not clear how how that came to him, whether it was an audible voice or in a vision. But we know that it came to him. And the word of the Lord said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's calling begins before birth. Um, It is an appointment that was born in the mind of God before Jeremiah was ever conceived in his mother's womb. What a wonderful thought that his calling um, was not just, hmm, okay, you're a good one. Let's choose you. No, this is already in the mind and heart of God. And we kind of see that with Moses. We didn't mention this, but... Um, Mo- the story of Moses begins with what? His yeah, his birth. I mean, he, this boy was supposed to have been killed, but evidently it was God's act of sovereignty over his birth. And we see later it's because God had chosen him for this specific task. Um, David talks about this in, in his Psalms about um, how he, the Lord knew us and formed us in our mother's womb. Um, we can be certain that um, our callings are not um, just a spur of the moment thing, but it's something that God has planned. Um, and, and it's something hard to argue against if you're Jeremiah. Um, okay, the Lord is telling me that he has consecrated me to do this before I was even formed. It bases his calling in the will of the Lord. And he appointed him to be a prophet to the nations. Um, a prophet to bring the word of the Lord. Um, as you read Jeremiah, you see that he spends a lot of time bringing the word to the people of God, to the Jews. Um, but he also has words of judgment for the nations. 
So it's, it's a word for the people of God as well as for the nations. And those, I, I feel like, are um, intertwined because if the people of God are the people of God, doing what they're supposed to do, and that is worship and obedience and faithful obedience, then they're a light to the nations, and they're bringing others into the people of God. Um, so Jeremiah is appointed to be a prophet, and his response in verse 6 is similar to Moses' response. Oh, Lord God, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. We're really good at excuses. Um, I'm too old. I'm too young. I, I, I have a stuttering problem. I, I don't know what to say. Um, and, and I think it's good to realize that apart from God, we really have nothing to offer. Um, but God is faithful, and he responds to Jeremiah by saying, Don't use these excuses. Um, for whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. Thank you. <laughs> for I am with you. What is this a, a promise again of? God's presence. Over and over again, God is promising his presence to the one he is calling. Again, we are reminded that God is with us and a promise of God providing the word. What does he say? Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Um, later in verse 12, the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. My word will not return void. What I'm calling you to do, Jeremiah, I'm equipping you to do. I will provide the resources that you need. I'm not going to call you to be a prophet and then not provide you the words to say or not provide my presence. God is going to accompany his call. Jeremiah talks a lot about his calling, and so you'll just have to trust me on some of this and go back and read Jeremiah. Um, but he uh, is, is a prophet, but he also um, describes his calling as a shepherd. Are you surprised by that? <laughs> um, he, uh, so he talks about, let me find this, uh, uh, the, the reference to it. So he um, talks first about, in, in the book, he says that um, God promises that if the people repent and turn to God, then, quote, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So a shepherd is one who feeds the people with the word of God. Um, so then Jeremiah, in light of this, understands his calling as a prophet shepherd. And he prays to God, I have not run away from being your Shepherd and communicating God's truth, Jeremiah is feeding the people spiritual nourishment. Um, when when we feed people the Word of God, when Deborah preaches, um, when our ministers preach, they are serving as a shepherd to provide food to the people of God. Um, it's interesting to me that um, in Jeremiah and the rest of the the prophets, um, there's a lot of talk about the false prophets. And the false prophets are identified by ones who do not bring the word of the Lord. In fact, they devour the people. And it's also interesting to say that the, um, to read about the false prophets are identified as ones whom the Lord did not send. So the two things that are that accompany Jeremiah's call, the word of the Lord and his presence, 
the false prophets, and they're called the false shepherds, do not are not sent by God and do not bring the word of the Lord to them. Um, so there's quite the contrast. Um, but Jeremiah's calling is one of great hardship. Um, I don't know if you've read the book of Jeremiah, but they do not eat his food. Um, in fact, they rebel. They call him a liar. They imprison him. They beat him. They try to kill him. And Jeremiah gets to a point where he's like, okay, I've had enough. Like, you've lied to me, God. <laughs> I did not sign up for this. And he talks about when he's having this um, conversation with the Lord, he, he describes his initial call um, as joyful. So he says, Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. But now the joy is replaced by pain, and he says, Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? And so then he comes to a point and he's like, I'm going to quit. This is enough. I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and he's, but then he says, I become a livingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. However, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. A true calling from God cannot be easily cast aside. The Spirit of God and the call is stronger than Jeremiah's pain. As much as he wants to stop, he can't. The call of God is heavy upon his life. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, Paul says. He just cannot not um, preach. So, so to sum up, God appointed Jeremiah to serve on his behalf, to bring the, bring the word of God to establish a people of God. And just like the others, he served as a shepherd. And Jeremiah was obedient even though the calling was hard and even though he felt inadequate. So now we're going to come to the New Testament. And what we find in the Gospels is that God himself has come down. And he has come down to do what no one else can do, and that is to redeem a people, create a people for himself. And I love the language of the New Testament. Who does Jesus describe himself as in, first, in John? He says, I am the good shepherd. He is the, the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is what um, Moses and David and Jeremiah and all those were called to be. Um, but he is, he is the perfect shepherd, the good shepherd. He will lay down his life for his sheep. Hebrews talks about him being the great high priest. Um, he is the Messiah. He is the king. He's not only the priest, but he's also the, um, the sacrifice of our sins. So in, in Jesus Christ is um, the perfect minister on behalf. Only through Jesus are we, um, do we have access to the Father. So it's interesting as I read the Old Testament and the callings of these individuals, they point to Jesus. And as we read now in the next few minutes about um, the ministers of the New Testament and us today, we point back to Jesus. And I think of what Deborah said last week um, of us as, as ministers being escorts. We're just ushering people with us to the great shepherd and to the great priest. Sorry, Deborah, I'm using you a lot. But I remember this, um, our, I think you used this analogy before in a sermon. 
Um, and if so, I'm going to use it again. But I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the Lord of the Rings. And if you've read the Lord, you're smiling because you love the Lord of the Rings. So you have the realm of the, you know, you have the elves and the dwarves and um, the kingdoms of man, and you have the realm of Gondor. And what they had in place was that when a king was away, especially on a military um, expedition, they had stewards to, to, to serve and to rule and to serve as the king would in their place until the king returned. And so the stewards didn't sit on the throne of the king. They were not the king, um, but they were to serve on his behalf for the people, to protect them, to feed them, to nourish them. And of course, um, in the Lord of the Rings, um, what we find is a bad steward, one who is not ready to give up his place when the king does return. But as ministers, those called to, um, to the service of gospel ministry are called to serve as stewards. Those called to be shepherds are called to be stewards until the great good shepherd returns. And we see this, I love this, at the end of John, right before Jesus is going to ascend back to heaven to prepare a place for his sheep, he is the good shepherd, as we read about earlier in John. But he turns to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And what does Peter say? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And he does this two more times. Three times he says to feed my sheep. Now, who again are the sheep? God's people. And what, what does it mean to feed God's people? What is the food? The word of God. So Jesus is commissioning Peter to serve as a shepherd in his behalf to give the word of God to the people of God. Because how can we know God? How can we grow closer to God? It is through the word of God. How can we be protected from the wolves who want to steal um, a sheep away? It is by knowing the truth and the word of God. So Peter is called to this. And this is why in Acts 6, the 12 disciples calls a meeting with all of the disciples. And they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It's not that they were above serving tables. And this is a ministry to the needs of the people, um, to um, take care of the needs of the widows and those who are lacking. It is that God has called the, this 12 um, to preach the word of God, to feed the sheep, and to give that up would be to be disobedient to the call of God on their lives. So as we move in the New Testament, we see a strong emphasis on preaching and teaching. Um, the Word of God is central to this type of ministry. Um, they are to shepherd, to lead the church, the people of God, by giving the food of the Word of God. Now, Paul is so well known, and I'm sorry I didn't spend a lot of time on Peter, but it is 10.42, so we're going to hurry. Galatians is where we're going to go to, turn to. You probably know the story of Paul's, at that time, Saul's conversion in Acts. Um, but in Galatians, Paul talks about his calling 
Um, most of the letters of Paul begin by him establishing who he, what he's been called to do. Um, often they begin, Paul, an apostle called by God. Um, that is because he has been given authority, um, and he's reminding the people that when he writes to them, he is bringing to them the word of God. This is not coming from him. It is coming from God who has appointed him to this task. And so in Galatians 1, uh, verse 11 For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... (laughs) What does that remind you of? Jeremiah, Jeremiah, yep. Um, And who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I'm going to stop there. That um, when, When Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was one of those kinds of Moses-type callings, you know. Um, Jesus does not appear that way to others in the New Testament. He doesn't appear to us in the way that he appeared to Paul. But he did so. Is that? Do you see why he did so? He revealed himself in this way in order that he might preach Jesus among the Gentiles. Um, God had set Paul apart Um, to preach not only to the Gentiles but we see by reading Acts and all of the epistles to the Jews and the Gentiles he was to be an evangelist and by preaching the word of God what did he do as people came to know um, Jesus Christ he established churches so he was a church planner and then not only was he a church planner but we see from his letters he was like a father to the churches and he had authority to bring them the word of God. And he did he not shepherd them? He protected them. He wrote to them about disputes. He wrote to them about truth. We see his emphasis on truth over and over again. I think at the pastoral epistles specifically. Um, he was called to lead the people of God. Um, to serve on God's behalf for the people of God. To administer the word of God. So we see this pattern of God calling individuals to lead in, in, in teaching um, the Word of God to the people of God. And the reason is, if you look in Ephesians 4, he says, and he, um, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, he has raised up individuals to a um, life devoted to preaching and teaching the Word of God so that they can equip you, me, all the saints for ministry. And see, that goes back to last week. We're all called to ministry, and God raises up individuals to help equip us for ministry, to help protect us in the way of truth. Um, from false teaching. Um, we see this also in 1 Corinthians 12 when um, Paul talks about um, that we've all been given spiritual gifts, we're all one body, 
and then he um, says that God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and so forth. Um, so this is the way that God has, um, I believe, uh, been acting throughout history because why? Because he wants a people for himself. That is so important to the heart of God. Um, I'm going to end very quickly with um, just talking about the ministry of those who um, are called to a ministry of the word, those who serve um, in a full-time capacity, um, such as our ministers here at the Advent do. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this before in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul is talking about um, his ministry. He um, has not received from churches um, or asked for from churches money um, provision. Um, And that's partly why he's a tent maker. Um, And this is a special circumstance. But this is not to be. This is not um, the way that um, is intended. He says in 1 Corinthians 9:11, "If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material, material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So there is this sense that God does raise up people to serve on behalf, on his behalf to minister the word of God, preaching and teaching, so that we are equipped as saints for ministry. And I, um, as a pastor's daughter, um, I remember that a lot of people thought that um, that we could take advantage of our ministers and not and um, not really pay them for services, um, and that we could expect this great expectation because they were called a ministry and I'm not called a ministry. Um, so this this passage has helped shape. Um, my my thinking, and um, I hope that this has been somewhat helpful, more of an introduction and a survey of um, as we think about what is a call to gospel ministry. And I'm going to end with just right below that, Paul says, um, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Um, a call from God is not easily cast aside. Um, and I'm grateful that our God is a calling God and that he calls all of us to ministry and that he calls some to equip the saints. Do you all have any questions or thoughts? Y'all are very quiet. Okay, well, thank you. I'm going to lead us out in prayer, and um, I appreciate you coming when there were so many wonderful classes offered today. Heavenly Father, we um, stand amazed that you would not only redeem us as um, your children, to be children of God, but that you would use us, that you would turn these vessels into holy vessels for your use. And so, God, I pray that we would be sensitive to how you are calling us, that we would be obedient um, to the word um, that is spoken to us, that we would be reminded that you are with us 
and that you accompany us um, and that we would give you all glory and honor. In your name, amen.